very good. Well, good to see everyone, uh, and uh, let's get into our lesson for today. So today, I want I want to have you think. You know how I sometimes will have you like think about something while we're doing this. And so, what I want to have you think about is what's in a name. What's in a name? What does your name mean to you? Scott, what does your name mean to you? See, you've never thought about that. Here I'm putting you on the spot with that. Are you proud of your name? Yes. yes. You proud of your name? Yeah? Okay, that's that's good. I'm assuming you mean your last name. Okay. No, your first name? Yeah. You were not you were not proud of your name as a kid. It was how do you how did you say it? Yeah, lemon. Yeah. So that would have been that would have been fodder for anybody that wanted to make fun of it, like saying you're sour or something like that. Is that what you mean? Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. When you when you ran for office, you did what? Oh, so you turned it around into something memorable. Okay, very good. That's making, as they say, lemonade. I know, I couldn't resist. Okay. Name, what's in the name? What's in the name? Yeah. Expectations. Like what? Expectations, what do you mean? It's named after Richard I. You were named after Richard I? Someone told you that? Yes. And then what did that mean for your life? Or I don't know, I guess I was supposed to come here and <laughs> So sometimes a name is something that we live up to, particularly if you were named after somebody. Okay? How many of you were named after a parent or named after a grandparent, somebody that was like in your yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Pastor Ronnie. Yes. Um I can it's not funny to anybody else, but it's so funny to my sister and I. My dad was pastor, and yeah, our last name was Furking, mm -hmm. and there's just tons of Furkings in the Missouri Senate. Oh, gosh, that were yeah, pastors. that's a thing name yeah. right there. And so every time we'd leave the house, our dad would say, Now don't do anything to embarrass us. Right. And my sister and I would look at each other like, What, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, but I mean, he. I knew we, he meant something by it, like, sure. as preacher's kids, but also the furking name. Well, that and, sometimes there's a pressure that goes along with your name, especially if your um, parent is high profile. And it doesn't have to be uh, that you're a PK. When I was, uh, oh, I think probably in high school, maybe in junior high, uh, over in Fort Worth, um, one of my friends was the fire chief's kid. And we were playing with fire one time. Please continue. And so, you know, you know, we both got burned. I know, yeah, but, but you know, it just, it sometimes goes along with that, that the more high profile, you think of like fa uh, the children of famous people. Um, sometimes there is a, uh, a rejection of that or a rebellion against that name you know nobody's going to peg me nobody's going to say i'm my father or whatever it is and so then you swing to the other extreme and you do everything you can to live down the name right instead of living up to the name so sometimes it it rolls that way yeah Gina. well it's like um, dad's parents are 
German. Your dad's parents were, were both German? And his father's middle name was never to be mentioned. He would not write it. He didn't want anybody to say it. He who would not be named, I suppose, <laughs> yes. My grandfather's middle name was Adolf. Adolf. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Probably so. That was some shame, or at least people's in people's minds that would be associated with that. Wow. Yes. Your now say that your name was okay until social media turned it into a type. Well, it's a very unpleasant time representing against women about my age and kind of stars and stars. Oh. That's good. Well, so we're we're thinking about what a name means and it sometimes it is a object of shame, sometimes it's an object of pride, sometimes it's something that you live up to, sometimes in some cases you try to live it down. I mean, sometimes you don't even want to mention your name, like in your case, your grandfather's case. So it's just thinking about that because the issue of name is going to come up in our reading for this morning. As we think in terms of the the story of the of the Tower of Babel, that that there was an effort that was going to be made on the part of the people to make a name for themselves. And we want to talk about what that is and why was that problematic, at least from God's point of view. Okay, so let's look at, uh, we're in Genesis 11, and we'll start with, with verses 1 to 4. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so we remember that the flood has already happened. Noah and his family are the only ones left. They get out of the ark. They, they start to have children, 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 and we don't know for how long that would, would be. But by that time, there's everybody is speaking the same language, has the same speech, has the same uh, idioms, has the same uh, things that they're all talking, and everybody is of one uh, people. And so it says, as they move eastward, they found a plain. Why is that significant? That they found a plain to live in or on. Little detail here, not that big of a deal, but I'm curious how sharp you are this morning, especially those of you that are sitting on the harder chairs. <laughs> okay. Well, then the ark landed the land, an ark landed in the mountains, so it's up there. And again, Mount uh, Ararat is, you know, that could have been all sorts of elevations, not just, you know, like on the top. But it was mountainous, okay? So not very inhabitable. So they come down, they're looking for dry ground, and they find a fertile ground, which would be that plain. 
But what's significant about it is there probably wasn't any stone there. So they made use of the resources that they had, which was dirt, right, soil, clay, and so they would have made uh, bricks instead of stone. And then tar for mortar. So the, the original language talks about bitumen. You know what bitumen is? It's kind of that tar stuff. Where does that, where else does that show up in Genesis? Yeah, the ark. Well, uh, they sealed the ark with it, right? So they would have learned that. That's pretty, that's pretty uh, interesting technology that they would have, uh, they would have achieved. So they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower. Now, uh, I remember when I was a kid with the Little Visits with God Bible that I had that had all the little pictures in it, which was I was sure that this is how it is because it's right there in, in color in my Little Visits with God uh, Bible, that the tower was supposed to be something like a temple. Okay, well, that picture was crushed this week as I was uh, studying this and discovered that it was not a tower for worship. It was a tower for warfare. It was an assault tower, which makes way more sense in terms now of why God reacted the way he did to this. What would the difference be? If you're going to build something to the heavens, which of course, you know, how tall could that be? But if that's your mindset, that you're going to assault God versus worship Him, what's the difference? Obvious, isn't it? You're setting yourself up to assume His divinity, and that's what this was about, okay? So let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may do what? Make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So what's their fear? What's their fear? That they'll be scattered, right? If they're scattered, what, what is it that they, what do, you, what do you gain or what is it that you lose by being scattered over the face of the earth? Power. How so? The larger your dominion, the more powerful you are. Okay, so let's take our orange marker <laughs> and let's put power up here, all right? Is power good or evil? Yes. It, it depends on what? It depends on what you're going to do with it, right? It depends on what your perspective for it is. All right, what else? What is it that you have access to or what is it that is the advantage of we're all together and the what, same thing, same place, same thinking versus being scattered? What do you lose by being scattered? What do you gain by being together? Pardon? Communication. All right, so commit, but communication is kind of the means by which that would happen. But let's just go ahead and put that up there, all right? Communication. All right. What else? Pardon? Continuity, which for a lot of people is exciting and for others is boring. But one of the things that continuity can give you is a sense of security, right? 
because if you can depend on it, then you'll know it's there. It's, it's kind of the reason why in church life, um, a lot of times in church administration, okay, um, they, the way that things are set up, I don't know if it's set up that way here, but the way it's set up in a lot of churches is that you only elect people to serve every three years. Why would you do it that way? Because that's the way we've always done it. That's what we <laughs> No, it's because that way you don't have a 100% turnover, but you might have 30% turnover or 33% in each time. So you get that sense of, of continuity, and you're not having to reinvent the wheel every time somebody, a new group, comes in. Yeah, Timothy. Could you elaborate a little bit more just on it being in a salt tower? Like, how exactly is building a tower waging warfare against God? Or Timothy, as usual, you ask very profound questions that I really wasn't prepared to answer today. So um, just thinking of it as a tower that is not designed to serve God or to serve our fellow man. Okay? It was intended to assert power and to be dominant over whoever else might have been a threat to them, including God. Okay, maybe a way to say it that way. Okay, the Hebrew is not very specific about the nature of the tower or what it may have looked like. Okay, um, and I don't know the technology of the day, how tall it could have been. Was it like a pyramid kind of thing going up? I mean, there's a, there's a certain apex that you reach where you, you can't go any higher. But I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue was the intent behind it and the purpose of it really was to assert self over God. Because the other little part there is let's make a name for whom? Ourselves. So there's a, there's a self-directed part there. Let me get to Joseph and then Richard. So if we're going off of that idea that being like a, a symbol of war against God, yeah. uh, confusing the language and communication takes the war from people to God and disperses it among the people. Right. Because when you can't communicate, you disagree and you fight. And I think it's more than just like a language communication. Mm -hmm. I think it's a confusion of ideas. Yeah. So maybe that's where you get, you know, tribes fighting and then it just goes on from there and you sure. just can't communicate anymore. Right. See, it, the, the interesting thing about it was it did serve the purpose of dispersing people. What it did not do was serve the purpose of of changing anybody's heart all right and as we've already talked about in Genesis one of the uh, one of the realities that God knows about because he, he we talked about it last week with respect to the the promise of ne the covenant of never you know flooding the earth again and killing everybody is that he said even though the hearts and minds the Hebrew is the word imaginations is that even though the imaginations of people is evil evil from childhood that it's talking about the reality that uh, we are by nature uh, all about us we are not by nature all about God when, when God comes in and changes our hearts then it then we're, we can be about God but but our nature is to think in terms of God is in the way and I would rather be the master and the dominator than be a servant or a steward. Okay? Yeah, Richard. I was thinking a word to put up there 
it kind of speaks to what Tim is asking about uh -huh. is the word control. Oh, oh, let's put that word up there. And, and, and what came to mind in Germany when Hitler was taking control of Germany, yeah. they had these massive outdoor arenas with big high, oh. you know, where I can get up high and look down on you. Sure. Impose my control of it. Sure. So that may describe the tower. Now, again, even thinking about control, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Yes. I mean, see, again, there, well, and it depends on the frame of mind that you have that would dictate its use, but also also thinking in terms of what it is in terms of its purpose, okay? And so it, that's what we're, we're identifying then all these things. So I put the word schema up there. Is that a word that resonates with you at all? Okay. It's a little bit of a word that's used in educational circles and then also in, in, in psych circles. But basically what schema is talking about is what is your core belief or your core value of how you see yourself in the world in relationship to God, to other people, and to the world itself, okay? If the schema that you have is, is that you're the, the reason why you exist is so that you can be the master of the world and you can dominate the world, that then will dictate your use of all these things. If the schema on the other hand is, is that you, your purpose in the world is to serve and that therefore you are a steward of what God has given you, then that in turn is gonna affect how you use and how you see all those other parts of the world. And I think in our world today, there is a, there is a definite line of demarcation between those who are looking at it like this from the master dominate perspective um, versus those that look at it from the steward serve perspective. Yeah, sure. I think all my life I've viewed this story wrong. I always thought they built the tower to get closer to God, not See? I kind of thought that too when I was a kid. I thought, well, why would God be so obsessed by that? Because here this would be a wonderful thing. And then, you know, I guess when we grow up, we see the Easter body doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's but that's a child's perspective. That's how we would look at it from that point of view, of course. Yeah. Another another element would be the sharing of resources. The larger you are, the more the more resources you can manage and share with each other. But if you're all by yourself, you've got to make make and choose individually the weaker. So okay, so let's just put resources up there and what would an example of resources oh, be? Hmm? Farming and, and ranching. Uh, yeah, land and, and water and 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 earth and time and energy and, and their own That's right. And share it with those. Yeah, else. but see that per, that schema. What you just said. That perspective is coming over here yeah. in terms of I'm going to use what God has given me. See, I didn't I didn't make it. God did. I'm going to use what God has given me as a steward, and then I'm going to use it to serve others. That, that's like 180 degrees difference between those that say, um, I gotta keep this for myself. And then I'm gonna use it to exploit you, to get to extract from you what I want that serves me. 
Okay? And I think that's what God was seeing happening in terms of here. That depends on the power broker as to whether the government decides, those who are in charge can say to you, you can only get to keep 10% and the rest goes to us. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah, sometimes That's people in government forget Romans 13, right? That the government is here to serve as opposed to us. That's right. That's right. But you could even, you could even put a uh, rule of some kind in that in that list as well. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah. So again, it's what's interesting about it is is that later on in the history of Israel, when the land and the resources were all divvied up among the the uh, the tribes, then everything became tribal in the sense that tribes did not see themselves necessarily as we're here to serve the whole and we're here to be stewards of everything. We're here to be masters over the other tribes, okay? And so it just tells you a little bit about the idea that if a, if a person's um, heart and mind is not transformed, if it's not converted in some way, okay, from here to here, if that doesn't happen, then it's all about me. It's all about my survival. It's all about my tribe survival. It's all about my position. It's all about my nation. It's all about whatever it is that you fill in the blank in terms of me and mine. And everybody else is a threat. Okay? The other thing I've noticed is, is that when people give themselves over to the master-dominate uh, perspective, is that there is a kind of view that they look toward the availability of resources is that they look at it from a scarcity perspective. I'm going to misspell this scarcity. Okay. Did I spell that wrong? What am I missing? Oh, there it is. Scarcity? Yes, scarcity and Merry Christmas to you, Tim. <laughs> That was a, for those of you in the early service, that was a human moment. And you know what? It threw him off the whole rest of the service. It was really, I thought, I know what he was doing. I know his brain was going, you idiot, you idiot. Because that's what my brain does. That's exactly what happens in that moment. So that was. He is expert at smoothing the cross. I mean, did you see any reactions from him? Like, is it, oh no, what I No, no, I felt it internally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as we often say, we don't mind being human. We just don't want to be it in front of anybody. Do <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, we can't tell you because he might do it in the later. <laughs> Okay, so he started the sermon. He didn't have, it wasn't the usual way where you have a text in the Bible and he says, the, you know, the verse I want to share with you is what Pastor already read. Okay, that, he didn't have that. And that threw him off totally. And so, how did he do it? Well, how did, what did you do? He said on this Christmas morning. The text for on this beautiful Christmas morning. Oh, yeah, beautiful Christmas. And then he caught himself and he said, well, it wasn't Christmas. So, everybody that came out of my side, I just said, Merry Christmas. 
When the schema of your life is all about you, what happens to how you view the uh, the abundance or the plenty that God provides? You look at it that way because you say, well, you know what? I don't know if I can share with you because there may not be enough for me. I can say it also three. You're going to hold it in. or and, and Okay, you want this? Got yeah, to pay me for it. Uh, yeah. Now again, there's nothing wrong with making profit because there is a you know the Bible talks about profit. That's not an issue. But if I extort from you, okay, that's a whole different ballgame. I mean, that was one of the problems that was going on in the Old Testament days that God's prophets railed against is that they were charging exorbitant uh, prices and then also a very high interest rates from people that obviously could not afford it. Okay, so the poor were being exploited at the uh, expense uh, or to the benefit of the rich. I'm sure glad that we're done with those days. I'm glad that that's, that's, not, uh, that's not the case anymore. But you see, that what, this is what this does. Okay, when life is all about you, then you have to protect you and your own and whatever it is that you value the most. And if it's your life, then everybody else is a threat to that in some form or fashion, okay? Now what's interesting is that, Carl, I'll get to you in just a second. If you take the, the view that God is the one that provides and that I am entrusted with what he provides and that the role I have is to serve in the world, then my view toward that is one of abundance. That there is enough. Now maybe, maybe I'm not getting fat on it, Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe I have to, you know, uh, narrow down what, you know, how much I take in and, and live on and all that kind of thing. But that there's enough. And the problem over here with scarcity is there's never enough. When is enough enough? That's a good question. Okay. So it's interesting that that already in the very beginning of the new civilization and the new life and all of that after the flood that it's still the same old, same old. It still is the problem because the problem's in here. The problem's in the heart. The problem is not how many rules there are, how many laws there are, what society says, oh, well, do this or do that. You have to have laws now because if you didn't, whoever is the strongest and whoever is the most powerful is the one that gets to, to uh, dominate everybody else. Yeah, Carl, you have your hand up. Uh, there's a, a word between those two, those two segments. Yeah. It's leadership. And leadership starts out, should start out with, by, by being a servant. People recognize a good leader because they're a good servant. Mm -hmm. Then power takes over, power runs to their head, pride gets in their way, and it overwhelms uh, over to master side. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just been a constant historical battle. That's why I became a pastor. I wanted to dominate other people. <laughs> you know, get in the last word on Sunday mornings, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I know, but it, but it doesn't matter what your profession in life is. It can go to your head. You can be a teacher, it goes to your head. You can be a police officer, it goes to your head. You can be a pastor, it goes to your head. It, 
whatever it is, it can go to your head if your schema is all about this. If this is why I exist, why did God put me on the earth? Was for this. So the question here, I got a question for you. So if we're by nature like this, how do we come out like this? See, because by nature, we all come into the world, it's all about me. It's not about you, it's about me. So how do I, in my life, keep from that the master dominates scarcity thing is that that becomes the, the only thing there is for me. How do I move from that over to a serve steward? Yeah, Steve. Well, I guess it's to be like Jesus. And that sounds really corny, but it's really focusing on the eternal, not trying to build your wealth here, but in heaven. So you're saying be like Jesus? Yeah. What, motiv- what would motivate me to do that? Why would I do that? I mean, if I if I have it all going for me, why in the world would I want to share and be like Jesus? I think it would be a, a like he was saying, a leader, like a father or a mother or an example, grandparents uh, who who are, who are wise enough to do that and help teach that to the children. So just one day you decided to be like that. Well, I I'm pushing on you a little bit because I want to get to how you got there. I think when you get to the rock bottom and you recognize your own efforts can't make you feel better okay. and your own desires, yeah. turn to God. To yeah. yeah. Because you know there's nothing on this earth that can solve all of your problems. Sure. So, and we're not in heaven. So right. we have to reach out towards God and ask for His grace and mercy and wisdom. But what motivates me to do that is God reaches out to me. See, He's always there. See, God is the one that starts it. So what does He do? See, that's why we, we're a big deal in Lutheran world about baptizing kids. Because already when you baptize a kid, the Holy Spirit's already working on a kid. And, and what's happening is this, it, this doesn't go away because this is still part of our sinful nature, right? We still have it. But now we got another voice in there. We have the transforming voice, which is the power of God and the grace that he gives to us through Jesus. So it's, it's Jesus making me alive again, which is says a lot about this because you're a walking dead person if you're over here. So see, that's the beauty of it, is that, is that as God is transforming my heart through Christ, then all the things you just said are possible. They're doable. Because there is that spark within me already that is the power behind my being able to do it. So excellent, excellent. Yeah, Joseph. Uh, I think something else that we do, uh, at least in the Lutheran Church for Baptism, is usually the whole congregation is a part of it. Yeah. So we usually kind of enlist them in helping the kid. Um, because I think a lot of people will like get their kid baptized and they're like, okay, now the Spirit's working, I don't have to do anything. That's fine. But I think a lot of it is, you know, listening to the Great Commission and teaching the next generation as well. Because they're just not going to get it one day. It's the lament of today that a lot of people look at infant baptism as a kind of a magic wand. So we've, we've given the magic wand, we spike the, the sacred words over them, you know, we do this splash of the water, and then they're fixed. And now we don't have to come to church anymore, we don't have to be in Bible class anymore, we don't have to do any of that stuff because we, number one, we already got them baptized, and number two, we got grandma and grandpa off our back. 
Serious. Serious. Okay. So there is a lot to be said for the rearing in the faith that happens in a family as well as in, in the church. And if we don't avail ourselves of that, that's one of the uh, that's one of the fallout aspects of COVID. Okay? Because when COVID came along and shut everything down, then all of us went to online worship, which we're so glad we did because we reached the gospel in many ways to many people. But what suffered was the collective nature of the church. Okay? And so it, it, this is probably true in almost every church that I know of or that I have some knowledge of, ours included, is that uh, a third of the worshipers on a given Sunday left and have not come back and have, have no plans to. Okay? So that doesn't mean that they're you know, godless or anything like that because there's a lot of people that probably are still viewing online. But the difference between viewing something online and actually being there is like night and day difference, okay? So not to be too judgmental about it, uh, I say it that way because it's still hard for me to, um, to sort of get past that, and to be real honest with you. So it's just a, a, a mindset that says, if this is what my life is all about, steward, serve, and the, the benefit of it is that I can see things through the lens of abundance, then what is that going to do to my level of anxiety about life and, and my purpose for living in terms of, of my connection to you? It's a whole different ballgame than it is if it's only about uh, master, dominate, and thinking of things uh, from a scarcity point of view. Yeah, Carl, one more. I hate to keep dominating this, but on the, on the service side, uh, what you just described is, is that there's a, the person who's doing the service. And, and the person who's doing the service because he sees a need. There's a need out there that, that they, they can help. But the, it's the receiver side that suddenly says, oh, it's a free service. I'm going to take advantage of that. There is a tendency to do that. An overuse to the point where, where we see it today. Yeah. There is a there is a there's a book that came out. I think it I think it was maybe 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Um, when it's called When Helping Hurts. Okay. And it's addressing kind of that very thing is that sometimes we help so much we create a dependency. And then what that does is prevents people from sort of uh, picking themselves up and, and, and doing what for themselves as opposed to uh, what we can do for them, okay? Um, you know, teenagers are masters at that, by the way. Especially if you say to them that they can borrow the car as long as they put gas in it when, like when they're done using it. And what do you think happens? <laughs> then you're running out of gas in the driveway, right? Yes. Yes. That never happened to me. I was too afraid to bring shame to the family. All right. Well, let's see what happens here. Let's get to verse 5. Okay. 5 down to 7. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, 
then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. All right, so the key phrase there obviously is nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Why is that a bad thing from God's point of view? Because it sounds very empowered. It sounds pretty good. I mean, imagine nothing that they plan to do will be impossible. I mean, there is that's positive psychology right there. But why is that a bad thing? God's not in control. Because it's not about God. See? It's all about, okay, I'm going to have all of this. And we can add a bunch of other stuff to it. We can add achievement. We can add performance to that. We can add expertise. We can, we can add popularity. We can add authority. Whatever you want to add to it, right? But if, if you're using it for the purpose of dominating others and being the master of others, then the fact that, that nothing's impossible for you is not good for you. Because if I get to that point, why do I even need God? If I can do everything. Okay? Yeah, Brian. In the verse, it says, Come let us go down. Who's God talking? Come let us. Who is the us? The Trinity. Father, Son, Holy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit, right there. Yeah, us. Yeah. So, well, I wish one of them would have, would have said, I have. You wish one of them? One of the Trinity. You're splitting the yes. Trinity? Yes. Well, not really. Okay. <laughs> I wondered about this for a long time. Okay. It would have been humorous if one of them would have said, you know what, guys? Go ahead, knock yourself out, start on that tower. And when you get to about 30,000 feet, let us know how it's working out for you. No oxygen, no oxygen tanks. End of story. Do you think that maybe when they got as tall as Mount Everest, yeah, yeah, Somewhere that, that they'd be gasping for air and it would have occurred to them that this would... So what's the point of your story? It was, it was no, no, there is a point. I see the point, totally. It was like your Bible that you thought it was that way, and that's, as you were telling that, I thought, you know, I used to wonder, how could they build it all the I mean, once they got to the edge of the atmosphere, what would happen? Yeah, see, you had so a science brain already. Yeah, engineering brain, I suppose, yeah. Well, so, but it sort of lends itself to the idea that if you give people enough of an opportunity to make a mistake, that then they learn from the mistake, right? And so that's the premise of that book, by the way, that I was talking about when helping hurts, is that sometimes we jump in too quickly and we rescue people from the mistakes they're making, and then therefore there's no way to learn from the mistake. Yeah, so. I think parents do that a lot now. Who, who does that? Parents do that a lot today? I think they jump in a lot and stop their kids from making mistakes. I mean, not big, but I mean, they, they can learn from mm. these helicopter parents. Helicopter parents, yeah. Yeah, so have you ever experienced parent panic? You know what parent panic is? You ever experienced that? Joseph, you haven't experienced it. <laughs> but, you, but you caused your parents to have Because I know your parents, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so what does is, what is parent panic cause you to do? 
when you're in a, when you're looking at your kid and he's about to make this mistake and it's probably going to cost him something and maybe that cost might go further than just a moment okay that's usually when we're uh, more motivated probably to step in yeah yeah okay but sometimes we don't want um harm to come to them okay so kind of a good rule of thumb is is that if they're not hemorrhaging okay uh when i was uh uh when i was in junior high we used to play like pickup basketball games in the, you know in the park and stuff like that and so the rule of thumb was no blood no foul <laughs> right? Wow. Oh, wait, that's what we grew up with. Did you any of you grow up with that? Yeah. yeah see, uh, that's a certain age range, isn't it? We, no blood, no foul. And then from there, you know, people are coming home and they're all bruised up. So somebody said that's not a good rule. So they swung the other stream, which would be barely touch anybody that's foul. Okay. And so that's kind of what happens societally is that is that the pendulum is always swinging, but the problem is when it swings, it swings way further than is reasonable or common sense. Does anyone have any common sense today? Nobody even knows what that is. Yes, okay. So it's a little bit of kind of what, what society uh, kind of tends to do. So again, we, we sort of get, we get why God, see, God's vision or God's view of things that he either encourages in us or inhibits in us. This is a major inhibiting, right? It's not just for his own worship and that kind of thing, but it's also for our good. This was not a recipe for people getting along with each other and doing well in life. Okay? This is, but this isn't. Because this is all about how do I view my neighbor? Do I love my neighbor as myself, or do I see my neighbor as somebody that I can take advantage of? And if I do, boy, how good that is for me. And if I keep doing it, how bad that is for me. Okay? Right. So, verse 8. The Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that's why it's called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So, the very thing that they were most afraid of happening, happened. And that sometimes is the way life goes, isn't it? If you live in fear, and you say, fear will drive me to be superior over others, very often the very thing that I didn't want to have happen is in fact the very thing that happens. Okay? So kind of a little interesting detail there about the word babble um, is that it's a little bit of a play on words. Okay? So the word balal, which is uh, Hebrew, means confuse. Okay? The word babble itself means gate of God. So if you put the two together, this was the gate, that tower was the <coughs> gate by which sinful mankind attempted to assault God's sovereignty, and it was at, at that place where God thwarted the attempt. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's kind of a cool little thought there. Okay, so then what happens in verse 40, 
40. Yeah, all the way down then to the bottom of the page. And then on the next page is the rest of the story that is the prelude to our God's plan of salvation and the story of our salvation, which starts with Abram, who eventually his name is Abraham. Okay? So I want you to just look at verse 40. 40, that doesn't look right. 10. I'm sorry, 10. Yes. I wrote over the 10 and made it into 40. That's what happened. Sorry, Merry Christmas. Okay. You know what? That's going to be the new thing. We're going to do that from now on. We'll do that only in here because, you know, we don't want to make anybody feel bad. But I think we can have great fun with this. Yeah. At somebody else's expense. It's perfect. So he says, this is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Erechzad. And after he became the father of Erechzad, Shem, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Erechzad had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Erechzad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. Would you like for me to continue reading these, uh, these things? Anybody want to contest my pronunciation of any of those words? If you did, feel free to come up and you can finish the reading. Ah, yes, yes. I already challenged Brian on that one time, so. Okay, so now let's go down to verse 27. Because now it gets, now we get the real, the real players here, the major players. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still, Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. That's an important little detail. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And they together set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah, Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So they were on their way to Canaan, and then they found in Haran uh, suitable land to do what they wanted to do. So they said, okay, we're here. Okay? All right, now, important little details here. The Ur of the Chaldeans, okay? The Chaldeans were considered, at least the northern Chaldeans were considered an extremely warlike tribe, and it's thought that they're the forerunners of the Kurds. Are you familiar with the Kurds? Okay, we hear a lot about the Kurds and the war that uh, they've been, continued to be involved in, okay? We know the story with Sarah. She, uh, she was childless, and so that's going to play into the story of Abraham and Ishmael and the whole aspect of that, okay? So we're getting, it's like little teasers are being uh, developed for us, all right? So Ur, the, so the Chaldeans were pagan. 
And this is why this is an important part of the story. Because if you go down to the bottom there, Genesis 12, 1, it's like out of the blue, what does God do? says to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, the reason why that's important is because God, he chose Abram, but not because Abram was a believer. Abram wasn't a believer. He was raised in that, or the, as a Urite, they were pagan. So why would God choose somebody that's not a believer in him in order to be the father of the salvation that we have through Jesus? Why would God do that? Because he can. He's God. And the important aspect of that is, is that sometimes we think that, well, he must have been a really righteous God. Well, he must have been a strong believer. Well, he must have been. And we add all these extra things. Oh, now we know why God picked him. No, God chose him because that's who God wanted. Now, obviously, he was a man of character, and he was a man of obedience, and he was a man who was accustomed to, if God said do it, you better do it. Okay, and he did, and we're going to follow that the rest of that story. But if you look at Genesis, the little note there that I provided regarding Genesis 1 to 11, it's, it is kind of interesting that when you look at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, it lays out for us the story of first things that happen. Okay? The first creation, the first people, the first sin, the first judgment, the first murder, the first deliverance, and then the first dispersion. And so you get this sort of sense that as Moses is telling the story of how we all came to be in terms of our faith walk with the Lord, is that is like the, the it's like an index, if you will, of all these first things that had to happen. They all did. And then now we get boom. The Lord goes to Abram and says, Go from your country to the land I will show you. And now it takes on way more of a novel, a story, um, in that sense, or an account. Um, I was told not to use the word story anymore. Did you know that? No, you can't use the word story because people in younger generations uh, assume that the word story means a fable or it means something made up. Yes. I've been, I've been more educated than ever I wanted to be in my life on, on some of these different nuanced uh, uh, stupid things I say, thinking I'm being smart. So. Um, you know, I think maybe it would be very helpful if you would look at a map. <laughs> Well, I think from our previous lesson. No, I'm not going to draw one on the board. I only have a limited amount of orange, and I don't have any other color to go with it. <laughs> Brian, you are being troublesome to me right now. So, I, but I can't wait till next week when you get to teach a class. It'll be so awesome. Thank you. All right. Okay, so we're gonna, what we'll do is next week we'll pick it up with um, Genesis uh, 12.1, and then now we get into the story. 
And now we'll see even more drama, right? There's going to be more drama because there's going to be this whole, I'm sorry, the account. I didn't mean, sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry, bad, bad, bad. Okay. Of, of how God says, I, I got this great promise of abundance for you. And then the dilemma is, well, how come it didn't happen right now? So I think what I'll do is take matters into my own hands because, you know, I mean, how many years do I have left before I can have kids, right? And so the next thing you know, um, we're messing up God's plan. But what does God do? He says, I love you anyway, and we'll just make do. Okay? So pretty good stuff that's coming out. All right, let's go to the prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. And thank you for the way that your word speaks to us, all oh, my heavens. It, it, is, it is so pertinent today to, to wrestle with the world that we have around us, with all now, all the controversy and, and all the rage and all the aggravation that people are expressing and, and talking about, about, about changes that, that are going on in, in the law and in society and in the country and in the world. And, and we're so tempted, Lord, to just uh, throw up our hands and say, what's the use? Or to somehow get in there and think that it's our job to change everybody. Well, the beauty of it, Lord, is that you're the only one that can do that, and you do it way better than we do. And so help us to live each day with that steward mindset, that, that idea that we're here to serve, and that whatever is the resources that you give to us, whether the resource is power or authority or control or, or time or money or effort or energy, whatever it might be, that we see that as something that you've entrusted to us and that we have the opportunity to bring glory to your name by serving you through serving one another. So watch over us this week, dear Lord, be with us. It's a crazy time of the year. Um, keep us safe and keep us close to you until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.